Hello, and welcome to the second ever episode of Meanwhile in the Future. I'm Rose, and I'm your host. Just as a quick reminder, here is how Meanwhile in the Future works. We take a trip to the future to check out some crazy scenario. Then we teleport back to now and talk about what would actually happen in that made-up future. Ready? Okay, this week we're starting in the year 2100. NASA scientists have announced recent readings that suggest a rogue spacecraft headed toward Earth. Scientists at NASA have identified the ship as the Baikonawa 3, one of the four ships stolen in the 2025 raid of the SpaceX facility. The ship also seems to be towing an extremely large asteroid in some kind of thin, plastic bubble. No contact has successfully been made with the ship thus far. At this point, the White House has not advised any evacuations. We will continue to update you as we can as the story develops. Moon insight. Visual confirmed. Initiate capture sequence. Preparing bubble. Activate thrusters. Ten. Nine. Bubble extending. Seven. Eight. Kill bubble. Kill bubble. Four. Three. Two. One. Bubble fully extended. And we're back with a breaking development on the Bakunawa 3 ship. The ship appears to have released the large asteroid it was carrying into orbit around Earth. Officials are asking the public not to panic, as the asteroid currently appears to be in a stable orbit around our planet. Preliminary measurements estimate that the rock, which is about half the size of the Earth's moon, is rotating about 150,000 miles from the surface of Earth. The Bakunawa 3 is currently attempting to escape Earth's orbit, but will likely be intercepted by a set of anti-asteroid missiles sent in its direction. White House officials say that they were unable to negotiate with the ship, but that the pirates on board did issue a single statement that simply read, for the lulls. Okay, so space pirates. But more importantly, we now have a second moon. And just to refresh your memory, that moon is about 150,000 miles away. That's a little bit more than halfway in between our current moon and the Earth. This new moon is also about half the size of our current moon. These details will become important in just a second. And to figure out what would happen if we had this second moon, I called two physicists. The reason I asked you for questions ahead of time is that this involved doing calculations. <laughs> That's Lucianne. I'm Lucianne Walkowicz, and I'm an astronomer at the Adler Planetarium in Chicago. And this is Jeff. And I was going to do some calculations, some actual numerical simulations of this to see. Um, but I unfortunately uh, had to teach, which I forgot about. My name is Jeff Oishi, um, and I'm an assistant professor of physics at Farmingdale State College on Long Island. So I got the two of them on the phone, and I asked them what they thought the first thing that we would notice about having a second moon is. And the answer to that is pretty obvious. Other than um, it being in the sky? Basically, if you had a moon that was this particular size and um, this distance that you've set forward, um, what you would see, obviously, is a moon that was roughly about half the size, the apparent size in the sky. Right. So we look up at the sky, and along with our usual moon, we've got another one. And depending on what that new moon is made out of, it doesn't just mean seeing another circle. It might mean that the nights are brighter. I think that depends on what 
the second moon is made up of, um, which might have something to do with where you captured it in the solar system. So, for example, our moon only reflects a few percent of the light that is incident on its surface, so it's sort of a really uh, dirty mirror, so to speak. It's pretty dark. And so even though we see the current full moon as being pretty bright, there are lots of other moons in the solar system that are more reflective or have, as we call it, a higher albedo. A typical example of this would be some of the moons of the outer solar system, which are covered in ice. So if, for example, you brought something that was significantly more reflective from, you know, say the outer solar system and put it in orbit around Earth, then it is possible that the nights would actually be a lot brighter, not just a little bit. Of course, that would depend also on what phase, you know, moon number two would be and um, what exactly it was made up of. But it could be anywhere from a little bit brighter to a lot brighter. But aside from that, there are some other things we would notice, too. It would make an obviously noticeable difference on the tides. Bigger, different, right? Because these two things will orbit at different rates because they're different speeds, they're different distances away. And so that means that you'll have, you know, on, on Earth we have now in real life, we have neap and spring tides, which depend on whether the moon and the sun are aligned or not aligned. And that changes over time, right? So you have different kinds of tides. <clears throat> With this, you'd have way stronger effects. That's a small effect. That's not a big effect on the tide because the sun's quite far away. But if you had two relatively close in size things to the Earth, that would make not only the strength of the tides, but also their frequency radically different. Yeah, so the way to think of it is that each gravitational um, interaction is a pull between the two bodies that are interacting. And so if you had um, both of these moons lined up in such a way that they were both, say, on the same side of the Earth, you can think of them as kind of pulling on the same gravitational rope, if you like. So then they would have an additive effect. Um, but if you imagine again that the other moon, the second moon, is at a different point in its orbit, it's pulling always towards itself, um, between itself and the Earth. And so you might imagine that that then wouldn't be additive necessarily with um, what moon number one was doing. But other than bright nights and weird tides, there isn't that much that we here on Earth would notice at least for a little while. It turns out that there is one tiny problem with adding a second moon. It could totally destroy Earth at some point in the future. So this new moon would have a orbital period around the Earth that would be around 13 and a half days or so, which is roughly half of how long our current moon takes to orbit around the Earth. So, um, yeah, what's really interesting is you picked a very interesting number. If you had actually picked a radius for this new moon that was half exactly the radius of the current moon, <clears throat> we wouldn't have what you have. But you picked an interesting number, 150,000 miles turns into 241,402 kilometers. And if you take that, that is almost an integer ratio to the current one, like Lucien said. So twice as, it would go around twice as fast, basically. And very, very close to within 1% of, of twice as fast. Um, what that means is that that is something that we'd, we call a mean motion resonance which is just a fancy way of saying every, you know, one time uh, our moon goes around, new moon would go around twice. And what's interesting about that is that every time these things pass each other, they feel a pull of gravity from one another much more strongly because they're, they're their closest approach. And when you have that situation, you have these things where they're lining up on the same side quite frequently. 
and this allows the orbits to strongly affect each other. And it's very, very rare for what they call mean motion resonances to be stable. You know, it's like if you kept pushing a kid on a swing set and you push them in exactly in every time they came exactly to the end of their swing, you push, right? So you get the maximum amount of that push. If there was no uh, damping, if there wasn't, you know, the friction of the swing, then eventually the, the, the kid on the swing would just be moving it infinitely fast. And similarly here, you have a situation with a mean motion resonance where one moon would push on the other moon every time they came around in their orbit. And if they didn't have an integer period ratio, right, that is, if it wasn't exactly two or three or something like that, then most of the time those pushes would come in all different directions. And so they tend to cancel each other out. But the number you picked is really close to a mean motion resonance, which means that they'd be, they'd be in phase. So they get pushed in the same direction every single time. I'm almost certain that this would be pretty violently unstable. And so if you were to put this moon where it is, it wouldn't last very long at all. How long is not very long? That's a question I can't answer without uh, doing some calculations. But I would guess no more than tens of thousands of years. Oh, and this extra moon could not only crash into our planet and destroy humanity, it could also destroy us in a much more subtle way. So another aspect of this is um, that our current moon plays a role in stabilizing the obliquity or the, the tilt of the Earth's axis. And it's considered one of the good things about our moon um, that our Earth is pretty much always tilted at about 23 and a half degrees um, from being, you know, sort of straight up and down like a, like a, well, it's still like a top. It's just a tilted top. <laughs> so our Earth is tilted at uh, 23 and a half degrees from being straight up and down. And um, that tilt is pretty stable over time. And the moon plays a role in that. So one of the other things that I think would be highly dependent on how you arranged this new moon in our, you know, Earth-Moon system, or now Earth-Two-Moon system, how that would affect um, the potential variations in the obliquity of Earth. Because as you might imagine, um, if you took Earth and you suddenly made um, the you know, polar caps what pointed towards uh, the region of highest illumination instead of, you know, our... Uh, the central part of the, the globe, that that might not be great for <laughs> um, long-term stability of the climate, for example. Um, so the way that that would play out would be heavily dependent on um, where you put the moon and how they sort of interacted gravitationally. And ultimately, who cares what's going on with you know the weather if you're going to have two moons crash into your planet? But <laughs> and that's another thing to think about, too. And even if neither of those things happen, Walkowicz came up with yet another way our lovely new moon could destroy Earth. I have I have one question that just sort of like crossed my mind um, that I I don't actually know whether this is possible or not. Probably it's it's probably not possible to figure it out in the course of this phone call without a simulation. But Jeff, can you imagine a scenario where what if these two moons collide? destroy each other and form a single larger body? That's definitely possible. Right? Yeah, I would hazard a guess that in the event that these two things collided into each other prior to possibly colliding with Earth, that that it would probably be pretty rare that you got a single larger body. And probably what you would also get a lot of is um, sort of literal fallout from the collision between the two bodies which would probably also not be great for Earth. Well, yeah, it really depends on how fast the instability grows, because if it's growing to the point where they're really 
they're pumped. They've pumped a lot of energy into them. Then you're going to have most of the stuff is going to be um, escape velocity or more, which means it's going to leave. Uh, then the only stuff you'd get would be the part, the geometric part that's pointed right back at the Earth, which is small because the collision would occur pretty far from Earth. So the angle of the Earth would subtend in the sky would be pretty small. In the event that you have a collision of the two moons, that's actually probably kind of good for you, as opposed to the other alternative, which is moons crashing into the Earth. So basically, we either get one much larger moon or total annihilation. <laughs> Great. So this new moon could totally destroy humans and our planet in a whole bunch of ways. What should we call it? Oh, I'd go with moon. Hmm. Just with an asterisk saying we made a mistake. Sorry. <laughs> I think I might go with uh, with the uh, Lars von Trier melancholia name. <laughs> we probably won't have to pick a name for a second moon anytime soon. But NASA is considering dragging a much smaller asteroid closer to Earth to study and probably mine. The scenario is not, I mean, it's different, but it's, like, related to um, the asteroid redirect mission, in my mind. NASA basically has a mission plan to take an asteroid and redirect it into orbit around our moon. It wouldn't be nearly as big as the moon in this scenario, and they're talking about dragging it in such a way that it orbits the moon instead of Earth, to make it a little less likely that when it inevitably becomes unstable for the reasons that we discussed earlier, it won't crash into our planet and kill a lot of people. Eventually, your asteroid will no longer be orbiting where you intended it to be, and it will crash into something. So if you put it in orbit around the Earth, that thing it crashes into will likely be the Earth, Whereas if you orbit it around the moon, then you can hope that the asteroid will eventually just crash into the moon as opposed to um, crashing into the much more heavily inhabited Earth, even in future scenarios, <laughs> than the moon. But let's be real. We all know who is truly behind the second moon project. Well, let's face it. Dragging a second moon into orbit is just a conspiracy by the werewolf elites. <laughs> If you want to learn more about the vast lupine conspiracy, or about planetary science, asteroid research, and all the other stuff we talked about this week, head to gizmodo.com, where, as usual, we'll post a bunch of extra reading material. And a special note this week, you can now subscribe to Meanwhile in the Future on iTunes. Yay! We'll put a link in the Gizmodo post for you if you want to do that. If you are already listening via iTunes, hey, that's awesome! You can also now talk to us on Twitter at Meanwhile Future. So like the name of this podcast, but without all the little words. So if you have thoughts about this episode or ideas for future podcasts, say hi to us over there. Meanwhile in the Future is a podcast by Gizmodo. It's produced by me, Rose Evelith, with the help of Annalie Lewitz, Meg Neal, and the rest of the Gizmodo staff. Special thanks this episode to Chris Bronner, Ben Lilly, Mary Beth Griggs, and Maggie Coerth-Baker. An extra additional special thanks to Bruce Banner at JPL, who also helped me think through this potential future, and, for the record, would name the new moon Poseidon's Revenge. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future next week. <laughs>